Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so you were at the M.A. Udoka introductory press conference, and, you know, the last time we talked, you know, we were we were pretty heavy on the idea that they needed to at least be up front and sort of answer for the elephant in the room, if you will. You know, the fact that M.A. Udoka, you know, in any normal circumstance, situation would not be available to the Rockets, and, and the reason why he is is something that they probably needed to answer for. Um, and so how do you think they did? How did it go? Um, I, we already talked about sort of the, what I thought was the nuts and bolts, really cool basketball sort of stuff. Um, and there, there's plenty more too, obviously, but, um, but, but as far as your takeaways from being there and, and obviously you're at everything, but, but what, what were your first impressions of Ime Yudoka as Rockets head coach? I thought, you know, Tillman Fertitta, who was not scheduled to be there originally, that was like one of the, you know, he wasn't on the press release. Um, and then all of a sudden you get there and they have three mics set up like, okay, it looks like Tillman's going to actually talk. And it's one of the few times that he's talked publicly or at least held some sort of formal media availability. It's only the second time since the bubble. Um, so it was good to be able to talk to him and uh, just to kind of get his thoughts on some things. But so he gave an opening statement. Udoka gave an opening statement and Rafael Stone gave an opening statement. And I thought the one miss out of all that was that nobody mentioned why he was available to them in the first place. And there was no like, Hey, I screwed up in Boston. It won't happen again. Like I thought that would have been, been a perfect time just to get that out of the way and to at least mention that. And so to me, that was a bit of a miss in the first, I guess it was eight minutes uh, of that press conference. But after that, I thought it went fine. I, you know, they, he, he did not exactly um, face any of the stuff head on, which I, I guess was probably um folly by me to suggest that they would really get into the details of that. And I probably screwed that even screwed that up, even by mentioning that they should, uh, there's just a lot of legal stuff that goes with that. But I, I did think that he took ownership and he took responsibility for what he did in Boston. He just didn't explain what he did in Boston. So they kind of danced around that, but I, I thought for the most part, he did a good job of at least, um, taking, ownership for it. And, you know, I, I asked him if he thought that the Celtics were uh, justified in the actions that they took against him. And he didn't say yes, but he also didn't say no. And so I do think that he understood that he was in the wrong and that he um, conducted himself in a completely unprofessional way uh, while he was in Boston. And, And I would hope that he understands that that can't happen again. And, you know, one of the things that we probably should have asked, um, the Rockets during this whole thing is, is there like some sort of a no tolerance policy where, you know, is that in the contract? I, I guess they wouldn't get into the, you know, the legal aspects of the contract, but, you know, 
is this one of those things where he understands that this can't, this isn't going to happen here. This is his second chance. And if he blows it, you know, on the first shot, then it's over for him at that point. I would hope that he understands that, but it wasn't something that was explicitly asked. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like, you know, all, all we were calling for, or, you know, the, the point we were trying to make is that there needed to be some accountability taken just, just from a public facing standpoint, you know, it isn't even a matter of, Hey, I need all of the, the, the nitty gritty details of exactly what happened. It's just like, Hey, we need to be publicly accountable for this. Like it, cause if you don't, it does give the feeling of sweeping something under the rug. And, and then that poses more questions than it answers. Obviously it's like, okay, well, if you just kind of have a public front facing statement or a position on what exactly happened, then you don't have to, then you take away the element of what are they hiding? Well, they told you what, you know, what's what. So that's kind of the whole, the whole point of that, you know, like, like beyond that, I just, like I, I, my impressions were that they did for the most part, take accountability for what they were asked of, like going back to your point of maybe they should have been asked this or that. And you can depict what they might've been asked or not asked, but I did feel like there was some, accountability or understanding for, Hey, you know, this is, you know, this is, this is something like the, the part about him needing to work on himself and, and we don't have to get all like super personal about like, you know, and all of that, but like saying that, making that point to me, I thought was a, was a good, was probably a good look in terms of, you know, at least trying to be publicly accountable for what happened. Yeah, and you're talking about when he said he went to seek counseling or counseling and, and, and stuff with the son and everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did, I did think that was good because, again, a lot of times, you know, you go through stuff like this and or I, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but sometimes people go through stuff like this and they don't do anything. And then you say, oh, you know what? I'm fine. You know, I did whatever happened, happened. I wasn't in the wrong, but it'll never I'll make sure that it never happens again. Well, OK, well, what actions are you actually taking in order to make sure that happens? I think you kind of have a little bit of that with John Morant, where John Morant just kind of left the team for a week and then came back. And OK, I guess everything is supposed to be better at this point. So I give Ime Yudoka credit that he a did that stuff and b admitted publicly that he did that stuff. So I, I, we're not going to get it. We're not. He's not past it. Like he's still going to have to answer this stuff, especially when he go. You know, when he goes to Boston, that's where it it really is going to come up. But I, I thought that he did a pretty good job of at least addressing it for now. And also, um, I thought it was interesting. There was one player in attendance for this press conference, and it was Kevin Porter Jr. And if anybody understands second chances, it's Kevin Porter Jr. So I thought kind of that um, little bit of symbolism, I, I thought I think was important. And, and it was good to have at least one player there. I'm, I'm a little surprised there weren't more, but again, a lot of these guys aren't in Houston at this point in the offseason. But I, I think Porter's going to spend the entire offseason here is what it seems like. Yeah, so... So what do you think about that? Like the M.A. Udoka, Kevin Porter, like I'm I'm trying to figure out like how some of these relationships are going to work because I, I, I feel like M.A. Udoka is somebody that would be good for Kevin Porter Jr. And I, and I thought Steven Silas was good for him on, on a certain level. But like, I, 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 you know, talk about knowing about second chances, but also somebody that um, can like help provide some structure and have like a, you know, the the type of personality where he will challenge you. You know what I mean? But I think, you know, Ime Yudoka seems to have a good feel for personalities. Like, he'll challenge you, but also kind of understand, you know, like, 
Kevin Porter Jr., you might not give him the same kick in the ass that you would give, I don't know, just name whatever player, Jason Tatum. I, I, just name whatever other player that he might have gave a kick in the ass to, if, if, if that makes sense. So, like, I'm I'm interested. I, I, I didn't get to go, so I haven't been around him at all. But I'm interested to see how his personality rubs off on or is, is reflected on the team, I should say. Yeah, that and that's one of those things that we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't yeah. think you've heard a whole lot about how, you know, what that personality is like in a whatever it was, a 35-minute press conference where he probably spoke for a third of the time. But it's one of those things that you learn. And I, I do think what's important, too, is that um, you have to coach all your guys a little differently. Like yeah. the way you handle Kevin Porter Jr. might not be the same way that you handled uh, Jalen Green. And, and I think that, you know, reading what Kelly Eco wrote in The Athletic, where Jalen Green really wants to be coached hard. And, and I don't know if that's always been the case with Kevin Porter Jr. You remember John Lucas got on him at halftime of a game uh, last year, and he kind of, you know, lost it at least for a minute. You know, he lost his composure after that happened. So I, I think that's part of – that's what I think makes coaches – I think that's what makes great coaches great is that they understand – I can coach this guy a certain way, but I have to coach this guy a little bit differently. And, you know, I, I think that it, it, you don't you don't know that necessarily overnight. It takes some time to kind of learn your guys and learn their personalities. But I do think that he at least the one thing that you know about him in Boston was that he was really able to connect well with his players and at least figure them out to that degree. Yeah. The yeah, that that that'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, we don't know a lot about, you know, how, how the interpersonal interactions are based off of him being the coach for eight days. So um, so we'll need we'll need time to see that play out. But Kevin Porter Jr., going back to your point, like him being there, someone who I would say, I guess my whole point of asking that question is like Kevin Porter Jr. is someone who has to be uniquely coached and uniquely handled and dealt with. And to his credit, like we're we're saying all of that, and you mentioned that from when you know what happened now two seasons ago. But you know he, he showed tremendous growth in a lot of ways this past season. I thought uh, from a maturity standpoint, missed all that time with the injury, um, and, and they and we saw how much they needed him, how much they missed him. But just a, as a player on the court, and not feeling like there was really too much off the court that that felt like it was you know a problem. You know, first year. You know, you know, coming off the the contract extension and all of that, and ended up being for the most part their best player. I'm interested to see how like his relationship with the new coach actually plays out, and then also what his role is going to be if we're to assume that the team is going to change drastically. Um, and I don't know how drastically. You know, I gave the three scenarios and we ranked them. You know, I feel like one of those things is going to happen. You know, like, and, and I don't know which one it is. Um, we have no way of knowing which, which one it is. That's kind of the exciting part of the offseason. But, you know, seeing seeing how that plays out exactly. But one of those things is going to happen. How does Kevin Porter Jr.'s role uh, change and, and, and what does his future exactly look like? I think it's a still an unanswered question and something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. And you can say that about everybody because – yep. So the one thing that Rafael Stone signaled is that they don't want to just sign, you know, we talked about the cap space. They don't want to just sign one guy with that cap space. They want to sign two, three guys with that cap space. Plus you're bringing in a top five pick. Plus you're bringing in uh, another, you know, an another first round pick to go with that. So, I mean, this roster could look, could, could look very, very different um, when we, uh, when they meet for, uh, when training camp starts 
uh, in the fall where you're adding, you know, you could add as many as five players to, you know, five players that you expect to possibly be four or five players that you expect to at least be in your rotation when the season starts. I mean, we'll have to get it. We'll get into this later on once you get into the off season, but there are, there are some guys that are going to have to play for their jobs uh, once camp does come around, because I don't think that um, there are certain guys who are guaranteed roster spots next season. I want to ask you, you think I was crazy for, so while I was watching the Kings and the Warrior series, I got to a space of, and we saw a lot of the Kings, right? When they played, when the Rockets played the Kings, they played them back to back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it felt like we saw the Kings twice as much as we did, you know? So I you know, obviously was familiar with the Kings, maybe more so than a lot of people who watch the NBA and don't, you know, have allowed the Kings to become an afterthought, you know? But I watched them and just thought, man, Alperin Shingoon could be the level of player. I know he's not quite as big as DeMontis Sabonis, but he could be the that level of player. They're not the exact same, but he could be that level of player. Kevin Porter Jr. is two years younger than De'Aaron Fox. He's not as good as De'Aaron Fox, I don't think. But, man, but what if what if in two years, you know, and just draw, tra- drawing these parallels in my mind of, you know, like what is, is Jalen Green like just a, a much, much better Malik Monk? You know, like just watching their team and trying to look at it through a localized lens. Am, am I crazy for that, for thinking that, hey, the the – the Kings made it that far and have their trajectory has changed based off of having two players uh, for the most part. And they have a good team, obviously, but they've got the, a, a, a team centered around Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, De'Aaron Fox being their best player. Is Alperin Shingoon be that level of player where if you pair him with, say, whoever that guard is that, that fills De'Aaron Fox role, whether it's Jalen Green or you know, whoever it is, like, could you, could you see that sort of trajectory? Am I, am I weird for dreaming like that or for, or for drawing those sort of parallels? Can I ask you a question though? Yeah. Do you want that? No. When you, when you look at, would you, because I I think the Kings were a nice story and they had a, obviously they had a really good year, but it kind of feels like there's a ceiling on that roster. Yeah. Yeah. Best players are bonus and Fox. It feels like, you know, you can you can get to 50 wins, but are you beating a title contender in the playoffs? And I think the one thing that we at least saw with this playoff run is that with those two guys as your best player, I don't know if you can get that far. Now, they had some injuries and Sabonis had the thumb and and Fox had, had the finger, but I kind of feel like if that's your ceiling, that's not quite – I don't think that's what this organization is looking for because they've been talking about winning a championship, and I don't know if you're winning a championship with Sabonis and Fox as your two best players. Oh, absolutely not. See, so my thing is the parallels to me is, as well is, like, the Kings are a player away. Like, they they need another guy, and, and they probably need another guy that's better than both of those guys. And, like, I don't know what Keegan Murray's ceiling is, but, like – I feel like he's going to be a really good player. I don't think that that's going to be the guy, but I'm thinking about like, hey, they they just they're a team that has evolved and has built their team well, and they just need that other piece. They need another piece, and that hey, the Rockets could kind of similarly be that team. They just haven't developed in what the Kings have developed into, but they also still are going to need that other piece beyond what they have right now, and that could come in the form of 
a Victor Wembanyama, a Scoot Henderson, a like whatever it is that they end up doing in the draft, uh, the, the, the unlikely trade scenario that we painted out there, the signing James Harden, whatever or whatever free eight, like whatever it may be, like maybe that piece is still what they're missing, but some of the younger pieces could be emerging as what I think Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox ideally are, which is more complementary pieces to, you know, a, a, a better, more, you know, frontline player in front of them, like as, as the star, you know, like I, I still think that they're missing that, that, that piece on the same level that the Rockets are. They're just, you know, further along in their development. You know, Sabonis is, old, is much older than Albert Shingoon. De'Aaron Fox, like I mentioned, is two years older than, and three, three, four years older than uh, Jalen Green, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think what I'm trying to, I believe this was Sabonis' eighth year in the league. Seventh or eighth year. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. He was part of the 2016. Yeah, he was 20. I'm thinking he was 2015, but yeah, he came out in 2016 when they got to the, uh, when they got to the final four. So yeah, um, I I don't, I I think because Sabonis and, and Shingun, you know, they're somewhat similar in that they, they aren't really three-point threats. They aren't really, you know, above-the-rim type threats, but they're playmakers. So, yeah, I, I do see the parallels between the two. I just don't know if that's if how you want – if you want your team built around that type of a player in 2023. I don't I don't yeah. think that that's – that's a winning player in 2023, but it's not a championship-level player in 2023. So I think that's where – it becomes that that's where building an NBA team is so difficult because this gets into the whole, is he an 82 game player or is he a 16 game player? Like over the course of an 82 game season, you want Sabonis over Jimmy Butler. But once you get into 16 game season, you want Jimmy Butler over Sabonis. So that's where, that's where building championship level teams is so difficult. And it's why so few teams actually win championships. That's why you see the same teams in there in the finals every single year. That's why you had Warriors Cavs play in the finals for four straight years, just because the types of players that you need to win 12, 16 playoff games is very difficult to find. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like w- without watching the Kings, you might assume or think that Sabonis is their best player and it could even have made the case that he was during the regular season but certainly once the playoffs came around it was clearly dear it was clearly dear and Fox and there was a ceiling on what what you could do with Sabonis I mean this guy can't can't really give you much outside of the paint I mean what what's that going to do for you when you're playing against the Warriors you know like there's just like it so so ideally like a guy like that is somebody that you would have built around 20 years ago where or maybe even 15 years ago 10 or 15 years ago where it's like hey you've got a a really good playmaking big man and you surround them with shooters you know um and you know three-point shooters and and really good defensive players also you know especially in Shingun's case to to hide for his defensive deficiencies so um but yeah no I just I was I was just looking at it and just thinking hey you know if, if the players develop like this and they do get some of those key pieces that hey cuz I, I tell you what i do what i do want like i don't i don't want like a player that's analogous to demonis sabonis to be the best player on the team but i do want them to be in that position like i i do want them to 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 develop and find themselves in a situation where they've they've worked to climb themselves out of what the last three years have been and, and that would be like I, I do think 
what the Kings are is a, a testament to what they've done, sort of strategy wise. Obviously, they traded for Sabonis; they didn't draft him like you know, like the Rockets did with Shingun. But you know, they they've been a laughing stock for a long time, and and lo and behold, they've made a couple of moves that um, that you know that that makes sense. And I think I think that is a place where the Rockets want to be within the next you know year or two. I think the number of players who were in the league the last time Sacramento made the playoffs, I think. It's just, I think they're just three. I think it's just Haslam, um, LeBron James, and Chris Paul. I, I think that those three were in the league when the, when the Kings were in the playoffs in 2006. And I don't think anybody else was because all these, you know, like. Uh, maybe Iguodala. Yeah, he was, I think yeah, he was the 04 class. 04 class, yeah. So that would yeah. be another one. Yeah. But yeah, but like Rudy Gay was 2006. Mike Conley was 2007. Kings had not had not made the playoffs. Durant was 2007. Um, Westbrook was 2000. You know, not, you know, Kings hadn't made it. It's crazy. There are there are really good players who went their entire careers without seeing the Sacramento Kings in the playoffs. That's just how long uh, that it had been for for those guys. Um, the, the team that it, that you kind of look at is and just how tough it is to build a championship team is like Cleveland, where it's like okay, they went and they got Mitchell and they were awesome in the regular season but it kind of feels like there's a ceiling with Donovan Mitchell as your best player. You kind of saw that with him in Utah where, you know, they could win a playoff series, but that seemed to be about it. And even um, they have these two terrific centers. They have these two all-star caliber centers and they just got beat up in that series. And so it makes you wonder a little bit just about the trajectory of that team. I'm, I, I've never asked anybody this, but I, I do feel like I'd have to ask Rafael Stone this at some point. To me, it's harder to build a championship level basketball team than any than any other sport. I think it's easier to build a Super Bowl winning team um, than it is a championship basketball team, and I think it's easier to build a World Series team than a, than a than a championship NBA team. I just think it's very difficult because there are only a handful of players that can actually get you to that level. So, a you have to find those guys, but then also you have to try and build a roster around those guys. I just think it's so difficult. Yeah. You know, and that kind of takes me back to our original question about the Jalen Green trade rumors, because you're trying that is what you're chasing, right? Like that is what you're trying to find. And the whole reason why you would entertain trading somebody that is as talented and who you have invested as much in as a Jalen Green, you know, your number two overall pick just a little while ago. The only reason why you would even consider trading a guy like that is because you're looking for and you painted the picture, right? You gave the example. Luca's available. Okay, well, yeah, now we're having the conversation. Now we're not just having the conversation. I'm going to hurry up and do it before you change your mind. You know, like, because that that's what you're chasing. And then in every scenario that I presented, you know, however likely they may or may not be, right, the the, the chances of, of landing the number one overall pick or even the two and the three, like you mentioned, or signing James Harden or trading for a star or doing some combination, some sort of combination of the three. You know that you're trying to find that lightning in a bottle of, hey, I've got at least this one guy or these two or three collection of guys that can get me there. You know, like I've got a, a Jokic and Murray situation, or you know, like I mean, just look around, look look around. Even the teams, like the teams that that you're seriously considering as title contenders, have the two stars and the depth. You know, but you but you absolutely have to have 
You know, you absolutely the reason why the sons are where we are now, like they had the stars and the death too, but then they sacrificed the death just to add the stars, right? Because they need that type of guy to take them over. Like they've they've been there already. They were in the finals a couple of years ago. They had the embarrassing loss to the to the Mavericks in game seven last year. So like they've 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 tried the the one way. Now they're just like, hey, we hell with it. Let's go get Kevin Durant, you know, like because like it, it that's to your point, that's how hard it is. You need to win a championship. You got to go get Kevin Durant. You know, you got to draft Giannis. You know what I mean? You got to sign LeBron in free agency. You know, like that's that's what you're up against. You know, you need you need Steph Curry to become the greatest shooter of all time and have like the happen to have one of the best collections of of players that that's ever been assembled, you know, as far as like especially at the top. Like it's it it is it is super hard and you also need a little bit of luck, you know, to go with it. Yeah, you, you need the 14% chance of winning the lottery to come your yeah. way. So yeah, yeah, no, 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 and, for and, sure. And then you need to drop that guy and you need and you need that guy to stay healthy which is you've seen in New Orleans, it's very difficult for, for that to happen. So a, a lot, so much of it, so much of it, some of it is skill, but so much of it is luck. 